friends, good morning. Happy Easter. Please rise so we can sing Christ the Lord is Risen Today. Brothers and sisters, good morning and happy Easter to you. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Um, welcome to worship at Pleasant Street Christian Reformed Church. Welcome friends, welcome members, welcome guests, welcome visitors online, those of you here in person. Today, we join the church throughout the world and throughout history proclaiming that the Lord is risen, and you say... That's right. And today we proclaim and we say that together using a printed bulletin. The window is open. 
The things we sing and say together are printed here. You can also find notes about things happening in the life of our church as well. Friends, as we continue our worship, please join us in this call to worship. Grace and peace be with you from Jesus Christ, our Lord. And also with you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, on this most holy day, our Savior Jesus Christ passed from death to life. We left him in darkness, Christ's body in a tomb. He was swallowed up by death. But the angels declared to the woman, and the woman declared to us, In his death, death was swallowed, and he is alive. Alleluia. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has given us new hope in life. He has raised Jesus from the dead. God has claimed us as his own. Alleluia. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia.
Friends, you may be seated. Almighty God, in raising Jesus from the grave, you shattered the power of sin and death. We confess that we remain captive to doubt and fear. We overlook the poor and hungry and pass by those who mourn. We are deaf to the cries of the oppressed. We despise the weak and abuse the earth you made. Forgive us, God of mercy. Help us to trust your life-changing power that we may know true joy given in Jesus Christ. Friends, let's take a moment of silent confession to our Lord. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He has brought us out of this darkness. He has made us a light to the world. Through Jesus, we are forgiven. And invite the deacons to come up for our morning offerings. The first offering is for the ministries here at Pleasant Street. The second offering is for the uh, Gems Girls Club. Let's pray. Loving Father, you have given us so much in Jesus Christ. You've given us hope, joy, and peace. This morning we give you praise, we give you the glory, and we give you thanks. With resurrection humming in our hearts, our minds are tuned to the song of peace. We joyfully present these gifts to you, a tangible chorus of thanksgiving. Harmony of hope for your kingdom come. May it bless others with hope, joy, and peace also. In the name of our risen Lord Jesus Christ, amen.
In his abundant grace, God has forgiven us. God has freed us from our sin and transformed our grief into joy. Now we can be at peace with God. Inspired by that great gift, let's share God's peace with one another. So friends, if you would rise and just greet your friends and neighbors next to you and just repeat these words, the peace of Christ is with you. It's also with you. On this Easter Sunday, as we are finding our seats, we find many different ways to remember and tell the good news together. And one of those is going to require introducing to you a special friend of mine. So I would like to ask those of us who are young, or even young at heart, if you would join us up front. We've got lots of room down here, and so I'd love it if all of our kids and young people, small people, could join us down here at the front. Good morning. It's good to see you, boys and girls. I'm a shepherd, and I take care of the sheep outside of Bethlehem. So I want to tell you about this. It was a very special day that happened. Well, it was actually night. And we were watching the sheep, and we had the sheep bedded down for the night. And we thought, oh, good, nice, quiet night. And all of a sudden, in the sky was this bright light. We thought, oh, we were so afraid we fell over. And the angel said, don't be afraid. I bring you great joy. Today in the city of David, a Savior has been born. God, oh, and you're going to find him in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. Oh, okay, wow. And then the sky was full. It was brighter than daylight. And all these angels were saying, praise God from whom all blessings flow. He is our God and our Savior. It's like, wow. And then it all went dark again. They went back to heaven. And we looked at each other and said, let's go to Bethlehem and see this is what's happening. So we ran to Bethlehem, but we got real quiet. We walked into the cave and there in the manger was a baby sleeping. And his mother and dad was there. And we told them about the angels in the sky and why we had to come to tell them and see the baby. And then they said, well, Mary told us her story of how she saw that angel. And the angel said she was going to have a baby. And then Joseph's story, he had an angel in his dream. The angel said, take Mary as your wife. Wow, something's happening. God's moving. And we walked back to the sheep, and I thought, this is too awesome. I am going to remember and watch, because sooner this baby's going to grow up, and things are going to happen. So I did. I did my job, watched the sheep. But 12 years later, in the temple, I heard the story that all the pastors of the churches were there, and this 12-year-old boy confused them. He was asking questions they couldn't answer, but the questions they asked him, 
He could answer. I'm going, that has to be that baby. It's like, wow, 12 years. Okay, we'll keep our ears open and keep listening for what's happening. You know, 18 years later, we heard another story. These people were having a wedding, and they, had, they serve wine at weddings, and you don't run out of wine. Well, they ran out of wine. And Jesus said, fill these great big jars full of water. And the servant said, okay, and they did it. And he said, no, take some of that and give it to the master of ceremonies. Water instead of wine. But they did it. And the master of ceremonies said, that is the best wine I've ever had. And I'm going, when I heard that story, I'm going, it has to be that baby. And then again. And then the story started coming. There was a story of blind people, people that couldn't see, could see. And people that couldn't walk, they could walk. Well, they didn't walk, they jumped and praised the Lord. And people that couldn't hear, could all of a sudden hear the stories. God's moving, it has to be that baby. Oh, and the worst one is, there were people with leprosy, that's when your fingers get it, and your toes and your nose, and it falls off. And that's a horrible thing. And they were being healed too, and Jesus even touched them. We're not supposed to touch a leper. But Jesus said, that's okay. And they walked away going, I'm healed. God helped me. God healed me. I'm going, it has to be that baby. Oh, and then other things. Have you ever been in a boat on a big lake? Yeah, well, one day Jesus' disciples were in the boat on the big lake and a storm came up and the waves were really high and they were frightened. But Jesus had fallen asleep in the back of the boat and they said, Jesus, wake up, wake up, we're going to drown. Jesus woke up, he stood in the boat and said, peace. And it was just as calm Going, that has to be that baby. It has to be that baby. Maybe he's come to kick Rome out of Israel and we can have our own high priest and our own government. And I'm going, yeah, that would be cool. Get rid of Rome. Well, and the miracles kept coming. I don't think there's 5,000 people here today. But one day, Jesus fed 5,000 people with two little fish and five little dinner rolls. I'm going, that's not possible. That doesn't even fill me up for lunch. And he fed 5,000 men. Wow. My understanding is he'd break the bread, and it just kept coming. And you know, when they were all done, they picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. They had more leftovers than what they started with. I'm going, it has to be that baby. It has to be that baby. And I'm going, wow, this is getting so cool. And then, and then one time, Jesus was sitting on the Sea of Gal on the shore, and he preached and told us what things that we're supposed to do. And the one that really confused me said, you've got to love your enemies. I'm going, Lord, I don't like loving my enemies. It's not fun at all. They're my enemies. But I'm going to try. I'm going to try to love him because that's what God asked us to do. It's like, okay, I'll try, Lord. God, 
but it has to be that baby. So, wow, all these things were happening. Well, you know, I bring my sheep to Jerusalem for Passover because there are substitute, because I know I'm a sinner, and I know I do wrong things. But that lamb took our place. So I'm going, okay. So, but then, then I heard that they put Jesus on the cross, and they killed him. And I'm going, that's not fair. He was supposed to lead us and get rid of the Romans, and now you killed him. I don't, it doesn't make sense. God sent that baby for a purpose, not to die. He was supposed to redeem us and take us out of the Roman. It doesn't make sense, Lord, please. Why does he have to die? I don't believe it. No, Lord, no. I just so hope that that baby was going to save us from the Romans, and now he's dead. Lord, why? Why, Lord? I could barely do my job for a couple of days. I had to bring sheep to, to Jerusalem, and I just, I could hardly do my job. Well, Sunday morning, I was sitting out in front of my house, and this person ran by, and he shouted, he's alive, he's alive. I'm going, who? But he ran so fast, I didn't hear the answer. And a little while later, another person ran by and said, he's, and I stopped him. I said, who's alive? And he said, Jesus. And I'm going, how can that be? And he said, it's a miracle of God, but Jesus is alive. I'm going, wow, that is a miracle. He is the son of God. I'm a sinner, and I needed that lamb to die to cover my sins. But now God sent the lamb of God to die, to be my substitute, and I need to ask him to forgive my sins, and I want to turn from my sins. I do want to love my enemies. I do want to tell people the blessing that God has given us, that he was willing to die for us, took our place, so that we can be cleansed. Oh, God sent that baby for us. What are you going to do with this man? Thank you for listening to my story. You may go sit with your moms and dads. Friends, the story that we gather around this morning begins at Christmas and continues unexpectedly through to today, as our shepherd has reminded us. It's a story that pulls us into it and that turns us up in prayer. Would you pray with me now? On this Easter morning, we give you thanks, great God, for the hope that we have in Jesus. We worship you, Jesus, our Savior, for you conquered death by your cross. You are the stone the builders rejected. You have become the cornerstone, making all of us living stones in your church. We pray to you this morning for our brothers and sisters, for fellow believers around the world. May they live in the joy of the resurrection. 
and be a visible sign of your presence by their mutual love. Make your resurrection spiritually real to our hearts and to all those who gather in your name and presence today, whether under cloud or snowdrift, in sunshine or rain, in stained glass cathedrals or basements or homes or prisons or camps or ships or bases or hospitals. We pray this with special fervor and urgency and grief to think of brothers and sisters who worship you under the shadow of death or sword or war. Lord, in times like these, we know that there is nowhere else to go for you have the words of eternal life. And so, as our brothers and sisters worship under the shadow of death, proclaim to all of us that death is the entrance into glory, and in our grief and sorrow, come to us with comfort and compassion. Strengthen all of us for your service as we do battle against our enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, that we might not go down to defeat but place greater faith and hope in your accomplished victory. Lord, this morning we pray for the leaders of the nations. We ask that they might exercise their office as servants of justice and peace. We think of those who battle war or terrorism in all of its forms, for those who seek reforms for the good of the marginal, for those who seek to lift up the poor and care for those who are ill and weak and forgotten. Lord God, in great hope and faith, we ask that you would bring forward leaders who honor you and so honor the people whom they hope to lead. We pray, too, for those who are suffering from illness, grief, age, or exile, whatever the circumstances are. In particular, we bring to you the names of those who cannot join us in person for worship today. We think of Mike B. and Alice C. and Nellie DeVee and Arthur and Henrietta H. and Winifred N. and Fiona T. and Ellie V.H. and Art W. Lord, we lift them up to you asking that you would remember them and that your resurrection might be a source of comfort and aid for them. And here, we pray, Lord, that you would come and be near to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. We praise you, Holy Spirit, for bringing the presence and good news of Christ to us this morning. Help us to look forward to the life with you, knowing that nothing past, present, or yet to come can now separate us from your great love made known to us in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Hear the words from Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. After the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. 
Come and see the place where he lay, and then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This is the word of the Lord. Friends, would you pray with me? God of our life, we praise you for the miracle of Easter. We pray for great joy for all those gathered here and who worship you today across the world as we celebrate Jesus' resurrection. We pray especially for those whose lives are filled with pain or loss or sadness. May they sense how the resurrection is a source of great hope. And by your Holy Spirit, would you come now to us too in need of that hope. We pray this in your name. Amen. Eugene Peterson once told a story about a time that he and his wife Jan went to visit a Benedictine monastery. One day during their stay at Christ in the Desert Monastery, one of the brothers was leading them to lunch, and they had just finished prayers, and they were on their way from the chapel to the refectory to eat, and he led them on a path that the brothers took every single day, and that path took them through the cemetery. And as they walked, they passed by an open grave, and Jan, his wife, asked a question, did one of the brothers just die? Their God replied, no, that is for the next one. Three times a day, on their journey from prayers to meals, those monks walk by an open grave to remember the shocking truth that one of them will be the next one. And on this beautiful, sunny Easter Sunday morning, you are asking, really? An open grave story on Easter Sunday? Really? Matthew's saying, what other story is there? It gets us right to the point. Matthew's point, and the point of all of the Gospels, which is that the good news of Easter only makes sense in a graveyard. I know that Many of us come today thinking of crocuses and songbirds and pastels, but the point that Matthew is making is that the right terrain for Easter is death. And death seals and it steals everything. Death on Good Friday, Jesus' death, it seemed to have stolen all of what we sang and what we hoped for at Christmas time. In the Gospel of Matthew, the point of Good Friday is, as one preacher once put it, that it's not Christmas anymore. Somebody go tell the shepherds that it was a mistake. And on your way, if you're going north, would you stop by Ramah and tell Rachel that all her crying that she has been doing, weeping for the dead, well, she was right, our Christmas carols just seem kind of silly. 
You tell the wise men that they were nice gifts, but well, thanks anyway. And tell Herod he wins again. The point of of Good Friday, my friends, is that Christmas, which we celebrated a few months ago, and everything else about Jesus that we love, it all goes into the tomb with Jesus, and all of it gets sealed up inside the disciples, the magi, the slaughtered innocents in Bethlehem, the weeping mothers, those who were healed and those who hoped in Jesus. Everybody loses. The vote is overwhelming. We'll have Barabbas. Death wins by a landslide. My friends, on Good Friday, Jesus died, and everything about him is buried and sealed up inside and guarded so that it can't get out. Sometimes we forget that this death in particular was designed to take the good things from a person's life and bury them with the person. The point, my friends, is that there is no hark the herald angels sing if in the end Herod gets the newborn king. There is no, well, to me, Jesus, I think, is a great healer and teacher who talked about the divine because the point is that everything that Jesus said and taught and did is shredded and buried inside Fleming Rutledge, as usual, captures it so well when she says we cannot seriously imagine that after watching their master pinned up to die like an insect, the disciples would suddenly be transformed by reminding that there's always hope for some reason. For those disciples who had staked their lives on Jesus, it cannot be stated too strongly, there was no hope. And just in case we miss the point, in Matthew's telling of the death of Jesus, he includes that detail that some of us heard and pondered and wondered at on Friday. You know, the one about the earthquake. Matthew reminds us that at the death of Jesus, the very ground shook. And that earthquake is is what shakes the centurion who was there into the realization of what he had just done. That he had been complicit in the killing of the Son of God. Surely this man was the Son of God, the centurion realizes and says on Good Friday. In our words, we would say, oh my goodness, what have I done? That guy was the real deal after all. Sometimes death has that effect. It gives us new eyes to see just how wrong we were. But for the centurion, it's too late. He says Jesus was because Jesus no longer is, because he's dead, and I helped kill him. Matthew ends Good Friday telling us that it really is that bad, and there really is no hope, which, my friends, this morning even though we are in not quite the right setting, is something that we understand because to some extent or another, that is always what death means. I wonder if that is why we as Americans are finding it harder to have or attend funerals. I saved an article from a few years ago about funerals. Believe it or not, it came from the style section of the Washington Post. I was confused too, but it is about funerals, 
And the piece opens with a story about a woman named Dana West who is throwing a fabulous memorial celebration for her father, Howard West, what she called Memorial Palooza. 300 people gathered at Sony Pictures Studios, and they had a hot dog cart from a famous L.A. stand, and everyone who attended received a gift bag with a baseball cap monogrammed by one of her father's favorite phrases, life's not fair, get over it. And then they concluded Memorial Palooza with a closing routine by Jerry Seinfeld. And all of this was meant to send Howard out in style. Or perhaps maybe to protect us from the reality that he's gone. Karen Heller, the, the author of the piece, she says, Death is a given, but not the rituals. An increasingly secular, nomadic, and casual America is shredding the rules about how to celebrate and commemorate death. Somber, embalmed body funerals are, for many families, a relic. Instead, end-of-life ceremonies are being personalized. Golf course cocktail send-offs, backyard potluck memorials, more Sinatra and Clapton, less Ave Maria. More Hawaiian shirts, fewer dark suits. Families want to put the fun in funeral. Now, don't mistake me. Death is always personal. And so personalizing a funeral or a memorial is not wrong. The last thing that we should meet death with is platitudes. But what I wonder today, this morning, is how is making death fun and happy and casual any less of a platitude? For some of us, it might be on this Easter morning that the earth shaking reality of death is not quite real enough. I mean, take this seriously. How would you even do a memorial for Jesus? This perfectly moral man who managed to love everybody somehow, even the people who hated him, he is tortured and he is publicly executed on false evidence. His trial is a sham and everybody knows it. Yeah, but he sure was a nice guy. Everyone on Good Friday feels the earth shake when Jesus dies. A curtain tears from top to bottom, rocks split. Jesus' crucifixion and death is a public thing. Not a private religious ritual. It is a public thing. We need Matthew's detail about Good Friday's earthquake. For after all, there is nothing quite like an earthquake to reveal to us just how little control we have. Then again, some of you know that reality already. In fact, you might even say you live there. Just yesterday, Dr. Esau Macaulay who teaches New Testament at Wheaton College in Chicago, he wrote a wonderful piece in the New York Times about how growing up he did not like Easter. Why? Because, he says, Easter requires an emotional crescendo that my melancholy temperament can't easily manage. I am much more comfortable on Monday, Thursday. 
Jesus' last meal with his disciples, a night which ends with Judas betraying Jesus and the other disciples abandoning him, fleeing into the darkness. I have always felt closest to God on this night, in the silence surrounded by a story of failure. And maybe today that connects with you. For Dr. McCauley, he says the reason is because he grew up in poverty, surrounded by racism and churches that either ignored or perpetuated these things. And so Dr. McCauley became a person, he writes, of few years and many resentments. I have never been a big fan of hope, he writes. It's a demanding emotion that insists on changing you. Isn't it easier to believe that everyone who loves us has some secret agenda? Isn't it easier to believe that racism will forever block the creation of what Martin Luther King Jr. called the beloved community? Isn't it easier to believe that the gun lobby will always overwhelm every attempt at reform? Isn't it easier to believe that poverty is just a fact of human existence? There are some of us today who honestly connect better with the earthquakes of Good Friday. There are some of us who know all too well the way that grief and sorrow, the way that you can be about your day one minute and then all of a sudden find yourself in the middle of a moment where the ground is shaking beneath you like an earthquake, like Grief, like missing a loved one you hadn't thought about, but then it surprises you, giving you a little refuge until it passes. For some of us, Good Friday is the believable part of this story. In fact, we don't have to work hard to believe it at all. Matthew tells us, in his details of this story, that the women who felt the ground shake beneath them on Good Friday are the same ones who show up first on Sunday morning. They are not coming, my friends, because they're feeling religious. They are going to a tomb that has been sealed shut with Jesus' body inside, and they are there because they love him and because they are grieving the horrible ordeal of Friday. You ask them, they'll tell you. They come to the tomb for the same reason that we visit loved ones at a cemetery. Because we love them and because we want to be in the last place where they are resting. It's where we go to remember what's happened and what can't be changed. We most definitely do not visit a grave, one preacher writes. Because we expect to see somebody get up out of it. And yet there on the first day of the week, Matthew says, at the dawn of a new morning, an angel appears and, and his descent to earth impacts the world with all the heavy weight of breaking news and there is another earthquake. The grief-shaken, earth-stricken world, it shakes again. And this earthquake, Matthew tells us, is more severe than the one on Good Friday. With the ground rumbling beneath their feet, the warrior of light pushes back the fortified stone prison door of a tomb, and the earthquake there, it causes, well, a manquake. And the guards fall over like dead people, and the women who'd already shaken to the core, well, they hear something cosmically solid. Do not be afraid, and they find something they can hold on to. 
I know you are looking for the crucified Jesus, he says, but Jesus isn't here. Egertha. He has been raised in Greek. This one Greek word hangs all of the Old Testament promises that we heard in Matthew's genealogy back in November and December. Egertha, this one Greek word holds together the birth of Jesus and Herod's raging and the flight to Egypt and the Sermon on the Mount and the healings and the parables and the calling of the disciples and the Palm Sunday ride to Jerusalem and the supper in the room and the death that happens on Good Friday. Ergertha, he has been raised. And that word lands with all of the seismic power and glory of something that God has done. God, who behind the sealed, secure door of Jesus' tomb, in the dead of what we don't know and cannot control, is raised from the dead. How? I don't know. The gospel writers, they don't tell us because this is the work of God. But they do tell us what happens when you come to the tomb. Because when we do, the earth-shaking reality of death is met by an even greater quaking. When the women come to the tomb, there is a severe earthquake, and the tomb is opened. Not, my friends, for Jesus to get out, but so that the women can go in and see for themselves And then hear the good news that he is not here. He has been raised. Just like he told you. Now I've told you. The earth-shaking reality of Jesus' resurrection, it sends the women running from the tomb. Fear mixed. No wonder they run. Come and see the proof, my friends. The tomb is empty. And the God who abandoned God on Good Friday has abandoned death for good. My friends, without the earth-shaking reality of Good Friday, Easter becomes about nothing more than crocuses and bluebirds. And there's no calories in that. But without the greater seismic breaking news of Easter, Good Friday is more real than we are willing to admit. And we are all living in a Cormac McCarthy novel about the end of the world and the apocalypse or an episode of Breaking Bad where there are no good guys and in the end everybody dies. Paul put it as baldly as you could in Corinthians, which we looked at last fall. If Christ is not raised, my friends, then YOLO. But if if there are two earthquakes... If, both on Good Friday and Easter, there is an earthquake, then the very creation which groaned under the weight of death now shakes with anticipation and joy over what God has done. And my friends, your sins are forgiven. In a world of tombs, at this tomb, if there are two earthquakes, then the ground beneath our feet, it trembles with hope indestructible hope, as Dr. Macaulay put it, which might be, he says, the most radical claim of Easter. Easter is not a metaphor for new beginnings. It is about nothing short than the encounter of a person who, despite every disappointment we experience with ourselves and with the world, gives us a reason to carry on. 
Oh man, and not just to carry on, but even to run, or to walk, or to limp, or to skip, or to roll, or to crawl through the world, fear and joy mixed together. For friends, God has opened the tomb, and now the tomb opens out, pulling us into a life expectant with the living Christ, because he is not here. He has been raised, and so too will you be raised. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Friends, would you pray with me? Lord God, on Good Friday, everything good about you went into the tomb with you, and on Easter Sunday, it all comes back out again with greater force and vibrancy and color and verve than we thought was possible. It is more true than we could have ever imagined, and you are who you say you are. Lord God, we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would make your resurrection good news spiritually real to our hearts, that we might believe, and believing follow you in all joy and obedience, joy mixed together with fear, following you, expecting to find you in this world. Amen. Friends, would you rise, embody your spirit, and let's sing.
Friends, the living God long ago, faithful woman proclaimed the good news of Jesus' resurrection, and the world was changed forever. You are rich in love, and you are slow to anger. For your, all your goodness, let's now sing 10,000 Reasons. Sing like never 
brothers and sisters, we lift our voices together, proclaiming and praising God's name. Would you join me in confessing the ancient creed of our faith? Together we say the Apostles' Creed. With one voice, I believe in God the Father, Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, that God whom we proclaim also has a, has a blessing for you, a promise that on this other side of death, there is nowhere that he cannot be found. And so friends, wherever you go this week and for the days of your lives, God's face is turned toward you and his smile upon you. Friends, would you lift your eyes, open your hands and receive it. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen. Let's go singing. Praise to the Lord the Almighty.
Happy Easter. Go in peace to love and serve Jesus Christ.